You're listening to Work Tape, episode 73. Welcome back to the Work Tape podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell. We got Isaac Groovin Grover. And we are continuing our discussion in relation to these Paramore tracks that have come out as you've been following us last couple of episodes. We've been discussing how these new tracks from Paramore and ultimately their new album, which is going to come out relatively soon, is definitely a refreshing return to form for the band. And we're kind of continuing that conversation in regards to some of the stuff that Haley Williams did solo and comparing that to other notable front men and women who have gone solo as well as just kind of the scene. And actually, I feel like this episode in particular is going to be very much about kind of the evolution of rock, the changing, shifting tide of the music industry and the music scene, you know, because Paramore has been around now for what, almost 20 years at this point. So the ground underneath of them has kind of moved in huge ways from when they started to ultimately where they're at now. And I definitely think that the kind of idea and what is going to be the rock sound has definitely changed. I mentioned it in, I believe, the last episode or maybe even the episode before it, how I feel like a lot of mainstream rock now is more female fronted. In regards with, you know, Willow and Olivia Rodrigo and whatnot, bringing more of that elements that Haley Williams solidified in the 2000s and, you know, basically creating a different sound in that respect. Yeah, I mean, you could even credit Phoebe Bridgers for that as well. Yeah, Phoebe Bridgers, definitely. That album is super solid if you guys haven't listened to it, by the way. Punisher? Yeah, I think so. The one that's red. (laughs) The skeleton red one, yes. Yes, that's the one. That album is super solid, by the way. Just really great songwriting, really great stuff all the way around. Maggie Rogers kind of has a little bit of that going on, although I think it's still a little more pop, even than like Phoebe is or Paramore is, or even like, especially Willow is. Willow is kind of more like punk now. Phoebe Bridges is still pretty indie pop. Yeah. You know, alternative indie style pop for sure. Definitely. I feel like Taylor Swift with like folklore and evermore was maybe kind of cosplaying as Phoebe Bridgers. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, not to say that she didn't do a bad job with it. Taylor definitely did do a great job with it. You know, those albums are pretty highly regarded. And she hired some, you know, great people to be on those records, uh, most notably Bonnie Veer and the singer from The National, too. Um, I forgot his name, but. I know that he had heavy involvement on that record, too, especially with the songwriting, which The National is a great band. I've got the somber singing style. (laughs) He he sounds like, what does he sound like? Does he sound like uh, Lou Reed or Danzig? I was just going to say Lou Reed. (laughs) I was just going to say Lou Reed. Yeah, is the dude from The National like the modern Lou Reed, basically? It sounds like it from what I've heard of his stuff and 
like I said, the National has some really great stuff. I highly recommend the National. The National and Interpol, because I like Paul Banks. Yeah. You know, because she swears, you know, like that whole, um, that very operatic singing style or Ian Curtis from Joy Division. I mean, I love a lot of those bears. Oh, the dude from The Editors. Yeah. Man, he has such a nice, deep voice. Well, honestly, if you want to talk about like baritones in music, you could even talk about Morrissey from the Smiths, you know, kind of being a big example of that, too. Yeah, he does do a little bit. Yeah, he does a little bit of that. Also, um, Alex Turner of the Arctic Monkeys is definitely doing that a lot more now. He didn't do that before. I don't think he did it well. I think the Arctic Monkeys have stepped out of their lane. I'm not going to lie. I think they had a lane and they stepped out of it. And I know Second and C was like pretty successful. Uh-huh. But, uh, oh, well, AM obviously was their big one. I personally wasn't big. I know that one's a big one and everyone loves it except for me. So I'm definitely the odd one out. But I, I wasn't. Wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that they love the album. I would. There's Anthony okay. Fantano does not like that album. So you're oh, in. Oh, he doesn't? No. He doesn't like AM? No. Oh, I didn't even know this. No, I think AM was quoted or he was quoted as saying that like AM is incredibly overrated. Oh, I, that was me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he said that it's incredibly overrated. And I think he even called it derivative and just like not very exciting. That's what I was saying, dude. We're always like on the same level. I mean, I felt the same way of Trench. I thought Trench was the first, in my opinion, all these blurry face haters out here. I thought Trench was 21 Pilots' greatest album. Oh, yeah. I think it was their most albumy album that they've ever done. Yeah, you're coinciding with Fantano on that one, too. I think he really enjoyed Trench. Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, Andy and I should talk. <laughs> no, no, that would be great. If we could get him on this podcast, man, and we just have... I mean, we, <laughs> if, if we get Fantano on the podcast, we're, we're talking for at least two hours, if not like three. Probably four. <laughs> I mean, that, that's probably going to have to be a multi-episode saga of just that whole thing. Like, there's no way we're going to get everything that we want to talk about in one swoop. We'll put on the to-dos, um, but after the whole Depeche Mode-style voices... Yeah, Depeche Mode, yeah. Yeah, the evolution of rock definitely has turned into, as you know, as you are saying... It's more female, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely more female. Which I think is actually a really cool thing. I mean, in a way, it's kind of a full circle thing because you did have female-led rock groups such as like the Bangles or um, the Go-Go's and stuff like that. Right. You know, really great, great bands. And I think it's kind of going full circle in that respect. Even Blondie in that way, too. Like, it's kind of going back around. Um, even Miley Cyrus has gone more into like that rock territory, which I think works really, really well for her voice, actually. Yeah, she didn't really contribute anything fresh to rock i think that was my only issue with her no no basically that last album was kind of her uh appreciation for joan jett okay yeah exactly yeah it felt like suppressed yeah i mean i had music that was like that that was suppressed that i would have written that when i was a little kid right but you know by the time i was older i wasn't a little kid and you know it wasn't 2000 anymore so i wrote a lot of songs that sound like they're from like 1995 2000 right and i like those songs you know they're to me they are um they are important to my songwriting evolution yeah i'm not saying that you know throwback songs are bad necessarily i'm just saying yeah i just feel like i mean some people do it really well but this whole idea like like people will do something that just is 
super derivative of an older artist and will act like, oh, I'm contributing. I mean, I guess you're contributing by inspiring people to do what you're doing. But I feel like outside of that, it's nothing new. Like, I think my issue is that these albums that are so derivative of these past artists get so much acclaim. I think that's what makes me more upset more than anything, because then I'm listening to another band really pushing the envelope and really sounding cool and really different. In fact, I think my biggest issue with rock was while rap and hip hop were evolving, rock just took a backseat. Rock got lazy. Mm -hmm. People were like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you know, and people allow them to do this. The reason why rock artists got lazy is because everyone allows them to do that. Right. Because people know that all they have to do is sound like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles. I mean, we created Greta Van Fleet. Greta Van Fleet <laughs> is our fault. <laughs> It's true. The only reason why people do this is because they can get away with it. And the only reason why people get away with this is because we let them. Well, and there's enough like old heads out there who are going to like eat up like Greta Van Fleet. But that's what I'm saying. The market dictates what yeah. artists do. And that's what I'm saying. That's the issue is that a lot of rock heads, a lot, by the way, do not. Yeah, a majority, not everybody, but a majority. Yes. A lot of them. Right. And I'm not in that majority. That's what I'm saying is no, neither am I. I feel like you and I are misfits in our group, but like a lot of rockheads, they're so content. It feels like anything Nirvana, maybe Foo Fighters, but like Red Hot Chili Peppers and before. Oh, that was the best time of rock. And we shouldn't do anything outside of that. And I'm like, what are you doing? So yeah. a lot of rap and hip hop heads, you know, what's crazy about them. It's hard to find throwback hip hop. I mean, not necessarily. I know Boom Bap has evolved. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But a lot of the hip hop charts, they sound very modern. Oh, very much so. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm big on all the music. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying at least for what it's worth, they are innovating and they're right. pushing the envelope and sound design and doing different things. Yeah. But the Rockheads, they've gotten lazy and we've succumbed to just dad rock. Right. But I mean, like the 60s, 70s dad rock. And now we're doing the 80s rock. I feel like we're just going to, okay, now we're going to do the 90s. And I'm like, it becomes hyper predictive. And it's just, yep. look, if you're trying to be unique and you're trying to really push the envelope forward, that's not how you do it. But if you want to live in the past, then we're on the right track. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that because, you know, even if you look at hip hop uh, rap charts from, 10 years ago and now it still sounds pretty new yeah and there's definite contrast and there's especially more contrast if you go the 2000s and now because the 2000s kind of had that like bling era and like a lot of that kind of thing and crunk and stuff like that as opposed to now which you don't really hear people trying to emulate i don't know Lil John or something like that. And even with the point that you made about, you know, a lot of hip hop and rap charts sounding like new and current. Yeah, you don't have if hip hop and rap was taking the same direction of rock, you would have the Hot 100 or the Top 10 just have like all boom bap tracks. Nas and like Public Enemy. It would just sound like that. Yeah, which actually I'm going to be really honest with you being as someone who is invested in those genres, as someone who kind of keeps my ear to the ground in regards to a lot of those, I can tell you that there are some old heads in that fan base too, in that genre, who would love a top 10 to have boom bap tracks. Yes, they would. They would love it. But the problem is, is that's not going to really come across to people who are in like my generation. And that's not to say everybody, because we love boom bap and we love what Joey Badass. Yeah. 
or what Denzel Curry is doing. Even Kendrick can pop out a boom bap track every once in a while. Even though I feel like with Kendrick, he's more jazz hop even more than boom bap. Right, right. Especially with that last album that he did. Someone actually categorized that Mr. Morale record as podcast rap. <laughs> Pod rap. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. But I guess it makes sense because the NPR crowd probably would like the album with Kendrick saying, I've been going through something. <laughs> like, just that whole thing. But we can save that discussion of hip hop evolution for another topic because we're still talking about rock. Yeah, with rock, it just, again, it's the fact that we, uh, the market of rock doesn't care about innovation. They care about reviving their boy, so to speak. And so, yeah. A lot of rock has been so aggressive about revival, revival, right? Yes. But very, very few rock people are interested in evolution. I mean, what Tudor Cinema Club were doing, and then who were the ones that did cardio? Oh, Bad Sons. Bad Sons were doing things. And there are a lot of innovative rock bands. So Amazons sometimes get a bit derivative, but they're actually not that derivative. They're like a softer royal blood. Definitely a lot softer. Yeah. But it's still hard rock. I can hear the Foo Fighters for sure. But... Yeah, when it came to even Foo Fighters, I mean, they haven't always done great. Don't get me wrong. No. Please do not mistake what I'm saying here. You know, at least they did kind of do their version of trying to do newer style of music. I mean, I feel like Foo Fighters are that band that try to be modern and then fail. Or they try to like innovate, but they end up just doing the same thing they did before. And hey, by the way, third favorite band of all time. Okay, so (laughs) I can talk like this about FF. Yeah. But what I did like about them, though, is they would keep going, you know, like no matter what, like you guys do that. You guys try. Right. And yeah, I I have very few things to say negative about Foo Fighters. I think the worst thing I could say about them is there's a lack of innovation or like whenever they try to innovate, it's kind of the same thing. That's why a lot of their songs have ended up sounding the same. The only reason why I can hear the music differently is because I'm big on them. So I can hear the nuances, but I get it. A lot of people are like, they all sound the same. I'm like, you're not wrong. That's why, you know, you listen to their older stuff. I mean, that was when they were at the top of the game. Anyway, with a band like Paramore, and I think this would be good to get into, you were drawing comparisons with Coldplay. And I agree. Now, I'm not sure if you agree for the same reasons, but one reason I definitely hear similarities, first off, the lead playing is hooky, catchy, and simple just like Johnny's guitar playing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't know if it's Taylor or if it's Josh playing rhythm or lead, because I feel like they switch. I think Taylor is the one who did uh, the lead and that's what you get. And that's probably one of my favorite lead lines. It's very catchy. You want to sing it. Again, it hits just like a Coldplay lead. But yeah, the band is not just characterized by Haley Williams, but by the band as a whole, their chemistry. And... Coldplay and Paramore are two bands where both bassists really aren't the greatest. Guy Berryman and Jeremy Davis, they're not the craziest. And I'm very influenced by Guy. I'm also influenced by um, Mark Stormer from The Killers. But again, he's not really the craziest bassist either. He does do some cool bass lines when like, he does something cool, right? But he's not the most colorful. And so I kind of put... Paramore and Coldplay in a category of lead guitar and then lead singer, where the most important elements of the band, the singing and the secondary, the lead guitar or the lead instrument, you know, piano, what doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Now with Paramore, I do think that Zach is 
a little bit more interesting than Will. Forgot his last name. Champion. Will Champion. Will Champion. Yeah. Will Champion. Yeah. I remembered his first name. <laughs> yeah. If you talk about Will from Coldplay, people know who you're talking about. Yeah. So Will, I don't think is really pushing boundaries that much, but man, he's a solid, solid, solid metronome. I love his simplicity. He has it down. And he's done some cool stuff, especially in Russia Blood and X and Y. Mm-hmm. He did some cool stuff in Viva as well, but I digress like I always do. With Paramore, Zach was pretty important. Now, he wasn't a Travis Barker by any means, but I would say he was just a little bit under that. I mean, he was almost like a miniature Travis because you take Paramore's drummer out of the band, it really changes the band. Yeah. And I'm not even saying in a good way. Zach had a lot of character to his drumming style that as much as I don't like This Is Why, you hear it all over. Now, a really quick recap on Paramore's history. You were talking about how, you know, they're kind of different from their counterparts. And you're right. Mm -hmm. They took a lot more from emo than their counterparts did. Now, yes, there's definitely emo and fallout. And there's emo and panic. But the emo that Paramore took from was more like, I wouldn't say American football, maybe brand new, but they took from maybe even sunny day real estate. Like there are certain emo elements and all we know is falling. That is kind of classic 90s emo. And they had their own spin on it. They were doing their own thing. And by the time we get to Riot, I mean, I think that album is a powerhouse of pop catchiness and hooks. It really is one of my favorite albums of all time. I think it's my top 40. It's a great record from front to back. And then with 09's Brand New Eyes, you know, the third record, I really think that that was a peak. Now, I don't think it was as much of a heavy hitter as uh, Riot was, but Brand New Eyes was a solid follow-up. And if we're going to talk about the drummer again, Zach's drumming in Ignorance, that is the Paramore sound. Like, just the way he drums and the way he plays with Josh is the Paramore sound, hands down. Mm. And sure, you can put in Taylor there. So again, the only person I'm downing on, unfortunately, is Jeremy, just because I don't really hear that much character. I guess he did the bass line in Ain't It Fun or Still Into You. I can't remember if it was this one or that one, whatever. But the band is more characteristic on the lead guitar playing and a singer as a forefront. So that was Paramore sound. So guess what happened? When the Faro brothers had left, And then it was just Haley and then Jeremy and I think Taylor. And as cool of a guitarist Taylor is, in my opinion, I don't think it was enough to hold up the band. Now, Paramore self-titled, I was hinting about this. They kind of pulled like a Killers or Foster the People where they wouldn't release for four years. And I get it. Maybe there's some drama. So I can't hate on them, you know, and she was doing the B.O.B. thing. And then they did the Paramore singles. I think they did that for like 2011, which was super cool. And I think that's Zach on the kit. I don't know for sure. So you're going to have to fact check me on that one. Because that was like an EP. So 09, last album, 2011, EP, and then 2013, self-titled. Which they removed Jeremy Davis from the cover, by the way, because they just don't like him. And that's more drama, by the way, if you care about that. That's why sometimes I feel like, like you said, like the Haley Williams show is so accurate because like, it's always got to be about her. Mm -hmm. As much as I look up to her, it kind of gets on my nerves. But I'm like, whatever. Who cares? Apparently, hardcore Paramore fans care. Right. So first off, Paramore, self-titled, I thought was actually a really good record. I liked it. Mm -hmm. I thought for the departure of the Faro Brothers, it was a really good effort. It wasn't my favorite album of all time. It wasn't my favorite Paramore record. 
But was it a bad album? Uh, no, no. I think I was leaning kind of toward it being bad, but no, I actually liked it. I actually really liked that record. I would probably give that like a 3.5 out of 5. You know, closer to a 4 maybe, maybe 3.7, but I wouldn't give it lower than a 3. I think it was a good record. But After Laughter, which came out four years after, you know, they're doing that whole four-year game. I thought that was way too long to wait for a record for it to be that mediocre. Now, the good news is, is that Zach was back. And then I think Jeremy left. Mm-hmm. So I think it was Haley, Taylor, and Zach. And Josh isn't there. And Jeremy, to my knowledge, is not present. He's off doing his own thing. So Zach, I think, is the most interesting thing about After Laughter. And, and Haley's interesting, too. Don't get me wrong. I think she's always cool. Even if I don't like what she does, she's always really interesting. Mm-hmm. But After Laughter just felt, again, like... Maybe they did do that. Maybe they just kind of did like a throwback and now they're trying to do like a return to form like we we're kind of talking about. I could see that happening, but I still don't forgive the sins of After Laughter. I still feel like that album was mediocre. I felt like that album was lazy. I felt like the album was something that they should have done as a side project. Mm. But not something that was worthy of a four-year wait after a previous four-year wait from album to album. That's what made me upset. It's like 10 years after, um, basically 10 years, by the way. It's eight years. Eight years after Brand New Eyes, you gave us two albums. Mm-hmm. One was decent, but the one after that was bad. That's how I felt. And so after laughter, terrible taste in my mouth. A lot of people like that record. I'm an odd one out on this. I'm just kind of showing my disdain to show people not everyone likes your favorite record. I didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. And so now here we are. And what? It's 2022? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I understand band drama, but five years after that, it's like, now, granted, Haley did go off. She did her album in 2020. I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. So Haley does give something. It's just the band, I think, is so riddled with drama. Maybe that's a big reason why their releases are terrible. But I still think, like, at the end of the day, like, you know, when you put something out, it's going to get criticized, whether for good or for bad. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think After Laughter, just because, oh, well, they came back. They're worthy of a good review. No, I thought it was cheesy. In fact, they were already kind of parroting the throwback sound and Paramore self-titled. You know, they already did the new wave thing. I already heard that. The last thing I wanted to hear was them going even more in the past and trying to wear their 30 plus year influences on their sleeve. That's what made me kind of upset. I'm like, wow, like this sounds really devoid of freshness. Mm-hmm. And so even though I thought This Is Why the single was kind of okay. Again, that Zach Farrow-ness, it's playful, it's fun. The news is a proper evolution to Paramore self-titled. Yeah. That's the way it should have been. Yes. But what? It's nine years later and that's what we got. That's how I feel. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Oh, by the way, don't typically artists not put the best single first? Don't they typically put the best single like later? Uh, um, it really depends. Okay. I don't think that there's really a common like rule or, you know, definite thing with that. Sure. Because there's been examples where some of the best singles have been released first and then the rest of the album is kind of just okay. Okay. Yeah. It really just depends on, I think, kind of the album as a whole. And I think it also really just depends a lot on, honestly, because with the way that singles are probably determined it's probably not just well actually not not even probably i know it's not just determined by the band it's also determined by the label if they're on one 
and whatnot. Right. And so there's a lot more about what is going to be like, you know, the most commercial thing to put out, which is really funny, especially in relation to something like the news, which is a little more critical about like institutions in that respect. Yeah. And so it's really funny how that's a single that is, you know, the lead single, but yet it's kind of also criticizing them too. Oh, yeah, good catch. So it's really quite interesting how that all works out. So I would say it really just depends artist to artist. And like, it's kind of a case by case basis where um, you have examples of the best stuff coming out first, and then the rest of the album can be disappointing. Or you can have something where, and this has been the trend now, there's some albums that have just come out with no singles at all beforehand. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've seen that before. Yeah, just kind of in the whole idea of a surprise album. Cough, cough, Kanye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kanye with swastikas, but that's a whole, <laughs> that's, a whole not, that's a whole nother set of worms, and that's a whole nother episode in itself. Well, I know we have tons of worms that we can open from these cans, but I guess just kind of wrapping it up with, you know, the Haley Williams project, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because I have a lot of respect for her. I really do. But I don't believe in this idea that any one person can do no wrong. No such thing as that. Mm. So Haley is a person and she has her own life. And, you know, I mean, I won't lie. I personally believe, I mean, I would have been disappointed. Yes. But had Paramore just done three albums, heck, even if they did that fourth album, they're self-titled and they called it quits, you know, I would have been salty about it. But guess what? I would have gotten over it and I would have been like, you know what? This is good because then they wouldn't ruin a decent thing. You know, I mean, even though the band kind of had a fallout, (laughs) I would have felt like, okay, well, at least they did something really cool. You know, they did at least two really, in my opinion, good records. I think Brand New Eyes and Riot were like, that was their Nevermind and In Utero. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, they progressed. And when you progress, there's criticism that happens. Hmm. And... There's really nothing intrinsically wrong with the throwback. But the problem with the throwbacks of the 2010s is not only did people love throwbacks like in rock, for some reason with rock, everyone's like, oh, let's do that. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, again, I take that personally because that was my favorite area of music. So for people just to kind of take it lazily, maybe pretty upset. And a lot of the really innovative artists got passed over. Not all of them. Some of the really innovative artists did not get passed over in the 2010s. I'm just saying the overwhelming majority did. And that's what made me upset. Mm-hmm. Fanagram was a great example of an artist kind of from the metric kind of rock quotient. They're kind of innovating. Mm-hmm. And so Fanagram's actually another good example of an innovative artist as well as Foles. Mm-hmm. Again, digression, you know, like always. But oftentimes I feel like Haley feels like she can kind of do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And so then she makes these decisions that she thinks are going to be great and that everyone has to like it just because it's Haley. Mm-hmm. I really do judge artists based on the effort they put into being original and inspiring. And I know it's hard to kind of put a measurement on that. You know, can you measure love? And I actually think it's possible to measure love. I just think that we lack the capability to measure accurately Mm -hmm. or the tools, whatever you want to say. We lack the perspective. And so I felt like Haley, you know, there's a lot of drama with the band, whatever, like a lot of bands, but then it just kind of turned into... I feel like just, you know, don't reward it. Just kind of acknowledge it and just brush it off. Mm-hmm. But trying to live in this denial that it was great, I thought it was kind of like, no, I thought After Laughter was terrible because again, it was doing exactly what a lot of music from the 2010s was doing. Rock music was, let's be new wavy as possible. 
let's take from the years 1975 and 1984. That's exactly what it sounded like. And I was like, you're not any different from Brandon Flowers. You're not any different from a lot of these other rock outfits that, you know, I mean, even Elton John, I mean, he's still kicking around, but at least he's kind of doing different stuff, you know. And Elton John, by the way, has the right to sound like a 70s band. Right. Well, of course. But when you got artists that were born after 80, 90, I'm like, what business do you have to turn your entire career into a 70s act Mm -hmm. and then have everyone care about that? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, you could do it, but why should we care? And again, guess who cares? The old people. Right. But to me, I'm like, well, that doesn't count because they had their time. I'm talking about people now. What are you going to do for now? Mm -hmm. So just really quickly, this is why it was an interesting track. I think the songwriting was very weak. I think this is why it was a bit of a weak single. And that's why I was wondering, okay, well, did they do that on purpose because they didn't want to put the best one out? The news, I think, was better. And the news is definitely, again, a proper evolution of the Paramore sound because it sounds different. In fact, it does literally pick off from brand new eyes. That's exactly what I hear. It picks off from 2009, maybe even 2011. And it still feels like a current sound. Mm -hmm. So I feel mixed on the This Is Why singles. I really do. It could go either or. That's actually my prediction. Yeah. I definitely think that there's just a lot of potential for this album to be really, really quite good, especially in the climate of rock music that we have now, where I feel like there's been some definite unoriginality. I feel like there's been a lot of dilution. I feel like, you know, there's been a lot of things that have just not been really that interesting unless you kind of look more in the underground and more of the independent scene. But I think that this album anyway has a potential to kind of revitalize maybe a little bit of some mainstream rock in that respect. And of course, to kind of push the current trend forward, which is more of a female fronted rock scene, but also to just Maybe this album will kind of in turn like encourage people to go ahead and try some different things with rock. And kind of the one thing I want to wrap up on in regards to bands, you know, kind of completely reverting into what I would consider to be like nostalgia acts and whatnot, um, as you kind of mentioned. And yeah, of course, artists from the era don't you know need anything to prove and can definitely sound like it you know as you said in the elton john example but that was the one thing that actually made me really frustrated with the black keys in the beginning they were definitely like garage revival but especially as you got into like early 2010s and that brothers album i feel like that brothers album was actually kind of a really good balance of like the garage sound and something that was actually in my opinion very current as well It was a good balance. Yes. And then, unfortunately, what ended up happening after the Brothers album was basically they completely just leaned into being a nostalgia act. Dude, it got to their head and they got lazy. I'm just being honest. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it was more of a thing where they just hit kind of the right perfect medium, I think, with that Brothers album. And there were actually some fans of the Black Keys that really didn't like that because it was more commercialized. But I think that was kind of what they needed was more of that commercial sound. And I think in big part, that was because they were working with Danger Mouse. 
who's a pretty good producer in both hip hop and rock. So I think so much of like the success of some of these bands also just comes down to like who's producing it. Um, we mentioned that a little bit with like Imagine Dragons and Alex the Kid um, being involved heavily in their first album. But yeah, I think that was the biggest thing with the Black Keys that kind of just made me lose it for them was the sense that they just completely decided we're going to be a nostalgia act and basically nothing else. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of where they lost me. And guess what happens? Every other band, because they are such a big and influential band, everyone's going to follow after you. That's what happens. Yeah. I wouldn't hate throwbacks if it weren't practiced by so many big bands. Yeah. And that's not to say that I don't respect Dan and Patrick for what they do. I think that they're both really great musicians. I think it's very obvious that they respect the music that they're trying to, you know, evoke, especially more of like blues and garage rock and whatnot. Lonely Boy is an exception, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, but Dan Auerbach especially is, yeah, I think he cares a lot. So it's not like they don't care. It's just that they need to have more of that kind of focus. And I just wish that they could have, you know, continued their focus in regards to especially that Brothers album, which, like I said, just really struck a good line between what they were doing in terms of revivalism, but also making it current and making it fresh and having songs that were not out of place on, you know, Billboard radio at that time. But yeah, that's kind of where I want to wrap it up because the Black Keys and duos is probably a discussion for another episode. Oh, totally. But I'm really, really anticipating to hear what the rest of this Paramore record sounds like. I think that despite some mixed feelings on some singles, I think that it has an immense amount of potential. So I'm very, very excited to hear how the rest of it plays out in terms of if they continue that sound and if they can make a really cohesive record that is just kind of back to the basics or if they end up kind of having a mismatch. But either way, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. But uh, this has been another edition of Work Tape Podcast. Once again, your boy, Money Mitchell, Isaac Ruben Grover. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Don't die. <laughs>